Welcome to Mystical Musings, March, excuse me, April 17th, 2016. Welcome to Mystical Musings, April 17th, 2016. Here in the Mile High City of Denver, in the Walker Fine Art Gallery with Myron McClellan and me, Lawrence Phillips. Now we are in our 13th year. We're here near the Civic Center heart of the city in one of the oldest Denver neighborhoods, the Golden Triangle, known for its numerous art galleries, restaurants, and neoclassic architecture. Those of us who identify as spiritual but not religious, who are non-sectarian, non-denominational, non-doctrinaire, are the fastest growing demographic of sacred communities in America. Thank you for joining us today creating our community of mystics, people finding unity with God, the breath of life, the gentle whisper, the great spirit. As a community of mystics who know beyond the intellect spiritual apprehension of truths, I am because we are. I am because we're one, celebrating body and spirit. Today's portal, mystic skills. The mystic develops skills that are specific to a path of awareness, compassion, and embodiment of spirit. Among those skills are the ever-increasing ability to find silence within, footsteps within, (laughs) to know deep peacefulness, to practice unconditional love and to take responsibility for all of the events in our lives. The mystic seeks embodied experience beyond the surface and the cultural in order to overcome habit, conditioning, unconsciousness, and ignorance. Mystic skills looks to daily life not as a distraction or busyness, but as opportunities for deeper and deeper realization. Mystic skill reframes our tendencies toward glamour and avoidance and chooses instead deeper presence and compassionate love, joy, and wonder. Here are five mystic skills that I have focused on this time. It is by no means exhaustive. The five are riding the paradox tiger, showing up, embodying down mystic Velcro and exhale. For the mystic who seeks and finds union, have you noticed that there is often union amid disunion? Riding the paradox tiger, improving our PQ, raising our paradox quotient, our ability to tolerate, embrace, and utilize paradox is essential in the mystic journey. Paraphrasing F. Scott Fitzgerald, whom JFK quoted in his inaugural, the mark of a first-rate mystic skillfulness is the ability to hold two opposite perspectives simultaneously and still retain the ability to function. Uh, So many paradoxes. What's a good suburban mystic to endure? 
the many limitations of being a householder and yet being limitless in spirit, having to file papers and be organized for a myriad of tasks, financial, legal, medical, daily email, daily deluge of snail mail, and all I want to do is just contemplate existence, loving myself and each other on the one side and putting up with the inevitable shadow of all relationships. Among our daily experiences, paradoxes include feeling so good one day and miserable on another, working so hard to create some moments of peace and joy amid a world that seems at times to be getting curiouser and crazier. One who embodied paradox was Andrew Warhol, saying, I'm a deeply superficial person. (laughs) Always be sincere when you don't mean it. (laughs) To which our mystic might adapt namaste as namaskre. The crazy in me recognizes and honors the crazy in you. Namaskre. One of the great psychoanalysts and student of Freud, Carl Jung, felt paradox could be a better witness to truth than one-sided positive statements. In its ability to embrace contradiction and both sides of an issue, paradox is one of our most valued spiritual possessions. Paradoxes abound in our contemporary life, the physical and the intellectual, embodied, ethereal, visible, invisible, unity, multiplicity, toil, repose, sleep, waking, hell, paradise, those things whereof we can speak and those things whereof we cannot speak. Moving without motion, a good poison. All of these are the conjunction of opposites. Some paradoxes evolve from religion, an area of life full of paradoxes given its focus on the unknowable. For example, the Gnostic's paradoxical statement Learn to suffer, and you shall understand how not to suffer. We see paradox in contemporary science, in quantum physics especially. Is light a wave or a particle or both? We live in a reality that is both determined and indeterminate. Paradoxes challenge our bias toward rationality and the logical mind. They can induce a mental cramp, especially when confronting the unconscious. Paradoxes are indescribable and difficult, requiring vigorous intellectual and moral effort if we are to take them seriously and not dismiss them as nonsense. The difficult operation of thinking in paradoxes is a feat possible via that part of us that we could call the superior intellect. What is the sound of one hand clapping? Life is a constant ebb and flow, which is how life manifests, and paradoxes are an expression of the polarity of life. Paradox is central to spirituality and religion. Every human being has an innate mystic impulse, a deep desire to know or sense a connection with the whole to contact the divine. We quest for meaning in life. But the nature of the divine is transcendent, more than we can comprehend with the intellect alone. We mystics approach the divine in the quest for personal meaning with more than logic. For this quest, we need 
paradox, for it allows us to approach the sacred that lives within doing justice to the unknowable. By its very nature, the unknowable cannot be expressed with logic and clarity. Ambiguity, contradiction, and ambivalence give expression to the indescribable nature of the mystical. Hence, the requirement and skill for the mystic life of raising our PQ. <sighs> Are we breathing? <sighs> Showing up and taking a deep breath, even with a little sigh, is one way to show up. <sighs> I don't hear you. Ah, ah, there we go. So showing up, mystic skill, or dragging our asses out of the bed of reactivity, cultivating the unconditional yes. Spiritual skill, mystic skill, is sort of like that Supreme Court Justice's famous observation about pornography. We might never succeed in intelligibly defining it, but we know it when we see it. It's the same thing with showing up, with getting here now, with coming back home to our bodies in this moment. We might not be able to define it, but we know it when we are it. That sense that we can feel our bodies, that we're quieter than usual, fidgets subsiding, minds quieting, simply the awareness of observing thinking mind rather than being caught up in it. Coming home, showing up, out of which emerges organically an unconditional yes to whatever arises. Whatever emotion, whatever state of being, a deepening allowing for light and dark, for ease and suffering, just showing up, an unconditional yes. In our human realm, there is said to be just the right mix of suffering and joy for each and every one of us to awaken. In other words, the givens of, of life help provide us with the perfect awakening blend of experiences and are therefore worthy of our unconditional yes. even and especially when we are not sure. Yes, yes, yes. All the poetry that I will share with you in this musing comes from Hafiz, Daniel Ledinsky's wonderful renderings, I Hear God Laughing. I am happy even before I have reason. I am full of light even before the sky can greet the sun or the moon. Dear companions, we have been in love with God for so very, very long. What are we to do now but forever dance? So riding the paradox tiger, showing up, and embodying down. We show up, but we embody down. Breathing more fully 
into silence and stillness. What we've just learned in terms of the ongoing mystic life classroom, what we've just learned from the cyclical mystic calendar is the resurrection not only of Christ external, but within each of us mystics. The resurrection of the body beyond the trance of ignorance, especially regarding our bodies. Rather, we're bringing back to our temples, our bodies, a willingness to engage, to sustain some embodied practices, whatever they are, deepening our embodied sense of self, embodying down using our breathing, listening to the resonance. Always with movement, starting small and gently. A day of silence can be a pilgrimage unto itself. A day of silence can help us listen to the soul play its marvelous lute and drum. Is not most talking a crazed defense of a crumbling fort? I thought we came here to surrender in silence, to yield to light and happiness, to dance within in celebration of love's victory. Awareness transpires in silence, the nonlinear breeding ground. Silence evokes deeper presence when joined with conscious breathing. The core mystic movement is embodied breathing, but also some other fundamental movements. For example, in Judaism, the davening, so the sitting and the rocking, that rocking, that they daven. And the davening, any repeated movement, evokes in us the opportunity not to go into a trance of ignorance, but to go into a trance of transcendence. Sufis spin and twirl. Tibetans chant, chant, chant. I can't even get there. If you listen to some of them, real deep, deep, deep. Each holy movement pattern accessing the presence of God, the mystic one, the great unfolding of deeper presence, revealing an unconditional joy, a willingness to feel anything from which emerges that unconditional yes. So silence, stillness, movement, they're all repeated as skills for accessing the God space, whether breathing or some other aware movement. I rarely let the word no escape from my mouth because it's so plain to my soul that God shouts, yes, yes, yes. <laughs> to every luminous movement in existence, finding our own twirling access, whether through breathing or in some way oscillating, repeating some movement, even a gentle rocking and a cradling. I am happy even before I have reason. 
Start seeing everything as God, but keep it a secret. That is why all the great ones speak of the vital need to deeply remember God. So you will come to know and see the mystic one as being so playful and wanting, just wanting to help. All the same person can ever care about is giving love. What is this precious love and laughter budding in our hearts? It is the glorious sound of a soul waking up. And so we are opening the temple doors, embodying down, returning to our bodies. Mystic Velcro. Stick-to-itiveness. Staying with it. It's so easy to stay with the good stuff. It's so difficult and challenging at moments to stay with the rough stuff. The pain, the suffering. The things we think, ah, that's just unnecessary. That stuff, with an open heart, with a deeper breath. That stuff. That's the stuff that we want to learn and practice and discipline our beings to stay with, to evoke mystic Velcro as a skill. And so, pushing all the air out, pushing it all out, and ride the tiger, not of the paradox, but of the exhale. Pushing it all out, all out, hold it out, hold it out, hold it out. Wait for the urge, wait for the urge, wait for the urge. (gasps) Again, following the breath all the way out. the staying with it, the mystic Velcro, hanging in there beyond the cultural conditioning, beyond the habit of the willingness to follow the breath all the way out. One more time. Remember, meditate. There are some questions that cannot be answered by Google. So riding the paradox tiger, showing up, embodying down, mystic Velcro, and finally exhale. Let it all go. You might just use that breath for a minute or two, just pushing it out. Exhale. And as you do so, consciously letting go of whatever that challenge is that we brought into today, whatever that suffering is that may have gotten you during the week, just exhaling, exhaling, exhale, conscious exhale. Release that, conscious, intentionally let that go. Remembering we're born on an exhale, we die on an exhale. We might as well 
realize on an exhale. Remembering Tanglen, a Buddhist practice we have met many times in our musings. That is, you inhale the suffering of your, your own, your families, your friends, the world, whatever it is, inhaling the suffering, and on the exhale, exhaling love, compassion, peace. If someone sits with me and we talk about the beloved, if I cannot give their heart comfort, if I cannot make them feel better about themselves and their world, then we must quickly run to the temple and pray, for I have committed the only sin I know. Always exercise your heart's knowing. Go for a walk if it's not too dark. Get some fresh air. Try to smile. Let the corners of your mouth turn up. Try to smile. And to a safe-looking stranger, if one happens by, say something kind. Looking in the mirror in your mind's eye right now, looking in the mirror taking yourself in your own arms as if first meeting a beloved friend, lover, letting tenderness pour from your eyes. Letting tenderness pour from your eyes even with your lids closed. Letting tenderness pour from your eyes as the sun gazes warmly on the earth letting tenderness pour forth. Letting tenderness, letting tenderness. The mystic skills move us in that direction. Namaste. so great to see so many familiar faces here. <laughs> it's just a, a, such a wonderful experience because these faces in their eyes betray an open heart and an open mind and a sense of oneness. And so that sense of oneness that we have in our community in any moment has a more powerful effect than we might imagine, might ever imagine. We are a part of a collective. There is one soul on this planet that's manifesting in all of these glorious forms, in all of these beautiful, beautiful beings that just takes the breath away but since we are that one heart and we enter into a place of love and silence and beauty and wonder and affection, that affects the whole collective. It changes the whole world. 
And it doesn't matter how many of us there are here if there were two or three. When two or three are gathered in my name, there I will be also. But I can just feel this beautiful energy that emanates from you. And I'm very touched by the affection everyone has for everyone else. It's very real, it's very beautiful, it's grounded in heart, it's grounded in wisdom. And it makes a difference, not just to us. So thank you for being here today. Um, many of you are Coloradans, so, or you've been here for a long time. So we knew, or at least we felt, it wouldn't just be Lawrence and Bobby and Sven and I. <laughs> Although that's more than three, so <laughs> that would work. Okay, so uh, we enter into now into a silent meditation. Um, while the music plays.
Thank you, beloved. 16 years of listening to this wonderful man play and create anew each time. And I have never heard him repeat himself. And it's always deeply touching to me. Are you an optimistic these days or a pessimistic these days? The ocean's coral reefs are dying extensively. Our entire ecosystem depends upon them. We need them. Their ongoing disappearance is enough to make me a pessimistic. Increasing terrorism as well as nuclear proliferation are also enough to make me pessimistic these days. The state of our politics in America does not help things. Just how can a good suburban mystic get less pessy and more opti? Where do we look for evidence of positive transformation? That we mystics know has to be happening under the surface of things. Second law, third law of thermodynamics. It's got to be happening. But that darkness is so often clouded with doubt and fear and even cynicism. The optimistic has a leg up in Denver <clears throat> with our awesome views of the snow-capped Rockies. An average of 300 days of sunshine a year, easy access within an hour to mountain magic or pristine prairies, a plethora of designated landmarks as well as historic districts, a relatively open and friendly society, and with the DCPA, the Newman Center, and other venues providing world-class cultural opportunities. Aside from the inherent opti perspective here in the Rocky Mountains, what cultural meme calls out to us for this musing? One extraordinary opti mysticism just recently noted in the Denver Post, courtesy of funding by a billionaire and supported by Professor Stephen Hawking and Facebook's Mark Zuckerberg, is... $100 million in startup money for a space mission to send micro spacecraft. Thousands of them simultaneously to our next nearest star system, Alpha Centauri, which would involve human beings extending their space reach 2,000 times farther than we have previously gone getting to the destination within 20 years, traveling at one-fifth the speed of light because the craft involved would be miniature and ultra-light. I would note a curious interface between science and mysticism with Professor Hawking's comment that this space plan fits well with the nature of human beings, which is to transcend limits. But this is still yet 20 years down the road, so, looking for incipient evidence for mass positive transformation, I want to look a little more current. Artificial intelligence and self-driving cars are a reality. 
It is just a matter of time until robo-cars are out and about on the streets of Denver and elsewhere en masse. War is being outsourced to robots, drones being the foremost example of which we now know. And surgery will be performed by machines more and more. Artificial intelligence will change everything from how we get about to how cities are renovated and built. Self-driving vehicles could reduce accidents by up to 90%. Our lives could change dramatically such that we might not own cars, but order up a pod and be zoomed about wherever, riding in what would amount to be being in a very large iPhone. A teasing Apple exec has said that self-driving cars are the ultimate mobile device. Mercedes now has cars that park themselves, as well as having automatically adjusting brakes to avoid collisions. Teslas keep themselves between lanes on the, driveway, on the highway, as well as keeping their cars a safe distance from other vehicles in stop-and-go traffic. Google is pushing for fully autonomous cars with the intention that Google will control the software of such vehicles. Virtually all major car manufacturers are investing huge sums. Toyota is investing a billion dollars in an AI lab in Silicon Valley. Even Uber, the app that summons cars for you, even Uber just rated the robotics department at Carnegie Mellon, hiring away 40 researchers. Cars are incre increasingly being seen as a 20th century invention, not suited to the 21st century, facing climate change coupled with the middle class declining wealth, such that the millennials are not even interested in owning a car. Sven is nodding his head. <laughs> Self-driving cars are moving very quickly out of the lab and into the real world. The positive effect for the site challenge would be astounding. The elderly would be independent for longer time into their old age. Cities would evolve and change as city centers might just prohibit human-driven cars, and when you arrive on the outskirts, you summon up a pod. Productivity is accelerating with AI akin to the gains had by the steam engine in the 19th century, but at the cost of jobs for humans. However, in the case of Tesla, the number of humans required to make a car has actually increased. Nonetheless, the pace of disruptive tech innovation has gone from linear to geometric in recent years. feel like Marco Rubio. <laughs> but that pace of disruptive tech has not gone on without glitches. Microsoft has joined in the AI revolution developing a chatbot, which was programmed to scan hundreds of thousands of tweets so that it might learn about social interaction. What could possibly go wrong? Microsoft had to disable its AI chatbot after it started tweeting out vulgar, hateful, <laughs> racist messages it had learned by scanning those hundreds of thousands of human interactions. Ah, the early approximations. 
While sur- surgical robots have been around for 15 years, their use has been peripheral, and soon that will change. With robots doing the tedious work that human surgeons would be better off not wasting time on. Education for displaced workers will radically improve, especially online. Warriors will be ensconced in exoskeletons that will radically enhance their strength and protection. The military now has robo-bees with three-centimeter wingspans capable of flying through open windows to conduct covert intelligence. Cyborgs, Cyborgs are coming as human-machine interfaces are radically and rapidly transforming. While Bill Gates, Elon Musk, Stephen Hawking, and others have warned that AI is the biggest threat to humanity. The investment and research and momentum are hugely tilted toward an AI revolution on myriad fronts. And so AI, especially self-driving cars, are this month's incipient evidence for mass positive transformation. I would, however, ask you to remember Rumi, who says that the art of knowing is knowing what to ignore. Namaste. So while all of these remarkable inventions are taking place on the planet and our creativity is getting greater by this nanosecond, And it won't stop because inside of us is this desire, is this need to create and to create in form, not to just create in our imagination, but to bring something into form. That is what is happening with the entire cosmos right now. This is God bringing himself, herself into form. That's who we are. We are the children of God who are being brought into form to express the various aspects of the divine. And it is a beautifully, beautifully choreographed dance. It just happens that that dance really is often a mystery to us. We don't really know how it is we as individuals are expressing the divine. In many ways, that is closed to us. We do know some ways, however, in which we express the divine presence. So in the divine presence, we learn that God is love. When I was called to awaken, that was the most astounding thing to me, to think God is love. There's no other word we can use for it. God is love. 
and our lives are about love. Everything that happens in our life, whether it is pleasant or unpleasant, whether it's exciting or dull, is happening to assist us in growing in love. Now, as we open our hearts to love, and as we allow the divine to enter our hearts as love, and as we then begin to notice that everything is love and that everything responds to love, not just other human beings, animals, plants, even rocks respond to love because that is the essence of the universe. Now, as we are in the divine presence, we realize this oneness. And we realize that within each one of us is that Christ self, is that Buddha nature, is that spirit. That is really who we are. And that allows us to love unconditionally. Now, after we have the experience of unconditional love, after we're called into the knowledge, the felt experience of unconditional love, then we become the practitioners of that love by entering into some kind of spiritual practice. And as we do our practice over the years, we become more and more skilled at it. So if in the beginning of our awakening, we realize that we're just loving the inside, the spirit, the heart of the other person. We also notice after years of practice that we begin to love the personality also and to celebrate the uniqueness and to be able to love ourselves and others in our whole being. Now, we here have been on a path for a long time, every one of us. And so we have become quite skilled at not only loving everyone and feeling close to them, but at seeing their unique beauty. And it is a unique beauty. No one has your beauty. And we need your beauty. And the heart marvels at the individual who is so wondrously beautiful that it can bring us to tears. So we practice love and we become more and more skilled at it. And then another stage of our practice that brings skill is 
the practice of loving ourselves. This is the, this is the most challenging step. But we learn more and more as we come that I am as worthy as love, to be loved as anyone is worthy to be loved, and therefore I'm worthy of my own love. And to be able to give myself that love is an absolutely life-changing experience, and it is also changing the world. We can be content in the knowledge that as we love our hearts, as we love our inner children, as we love all the parts of us, even the ones that we don't like, even the ones that are causing us a lot of trouble, we come to love them and we know that there will be much less trouble if we love them rather than being embarrassed about them, which is a natural kind of human ego thing, to be embarrassed about things that are flawed in us, things that are weak, things that are unconscious. So we press that and try to move away from that, therefore abandoning those parts yet again. Because they got there from being abandoned. So we know now that we're skilled enough now in the art of love to bring those parts into our attention and absolutely love them. Love is the transformative force on the planet. Love moves us out of separation. Love moves us into a place where we know that everything and everyone is lovable. And every part of ourselves, the parts that we've judged for so many years and begin to judge anew, those parts respond to love just like your pet responds to a pat on the head, those parts of us that we're embarrassed about are like, oh, I can stop acting out now. I've got your attention. Now I need your love. And in our day, when we are called not only to love and bless our friends, love and bless our pets, love and bless our families, love and bless the collective. We know that we are called to love and bless every part of our inner collective. And that is skill. So what happens is we're called into revelation, into epiphany, into mystical experience. And we see, oh, it's all about love. It's all about inner peace. It's all about expanded awareness. And when we're in that moment, 
we are, you couldn't have a thought because you're just so open and you're realizing how vast consciousness is and how vast your heart is and how vast your ability to love is that it is overwhelming. So that in the beginning of being called to awakening, we are in this altered state where all of those things are happening that I'm describing. And our nervous system can't handle that much glory and wonder and joy. Just can't handle it. But what it calls us to is a practice that leads to a skill. So, when we are back in our human form, which means back into our ego, positive ego I'm talking about here, we find a practice that will take us back to our original experience of the divine presence. That's what motivates us. It's like, oh, I had so much peace in that moment. I had so much glory and wonder and awe and inspiration. I had so much beauty in that place that, and so much stillness. So much stillness in the divine presence. Divine stillness and holiness. And while we're in that experience, we just are that. We are the holy. We are the awake. We are the aware. We are the source of love and beauty. So that brings us to the desire to practice so we can get back to where we were and integrate it into our everyday minds and our everyday lives. And the good news is that with practice, we develop the skill to be able to be in the divine presence and to be in our aware egos all the time. All the time. It's like there's no time when you've reached this level of skill, that you are away from the divine. You are radiating it all over the place and you are reveling in it. And so it takes years, but then when you get to that place of union, it is such a joy. It takes that practice to do that because that practice is always speeding up your vibration, our vibrations, always making a, a greater frequency. And so then we notice, oh, I'm never not aware. Never not aware of the divine presence. I can't be. 
Because once you know the divine presence, you know that that's who you are, that's who you want to be, and that's what you want to integrate, and you carry it with you the whole time. It's a skill that has a reward that is just remarkable. Another thing we learn is that the divine presence is peace. Inner peace, the peace that passes all understanding. It's not everyday detente, it's not everyday kind of peacefulness, it's a divine peacefulness that our minds can't understand. It is beyond our understanding. But that place of peace within us can only come through awakening. You can't get to that place by having psychological progress. The place of the divine peace comes through revelation and then practice. And with enough practice, we learn to access the stillness within us. We learn to access the silence within us. And then, after years of practice, then we can always know that that peace is there. Peace underlies everything within us. Whether it is a pleasant experience, it's an experience of light, or it's an experience of profound darkness, or it's heartbreak, whatever it is, there's that peace. The peace that knows everything is happening just as it should to teach me how to love. And it is an experience. It's a felt sensation. That peace is. It's felt and nothing can disturb it. So the good news is that with practice, we get to these, these skills that are really quite extraordinary. Being able to find our way to silence, to find our way to the stillness within us comes only with practice. And that practice sometimes is meditation. That's a very common one, prayer, that we do for years and years and years. Experiences in nature, experiences of great art. And the reason that we need this is also to find a place in us that can open us up as we are not in an altered experience, to find that place of awe and wonder. Awe and wonder and joy. Because that's true awe. That is true wonder when you feel the divine presence. That is the wonder and the mystery. And so we practice going into nature. 
We practice going into prayer. We practice going to the symphony. We practice going to the art galleries. We practice, and that gives us more and more the sense of wonder. We are very blessed in living here because, as Lawrence was saying, the majestic mountains, the beautiful forests and rivers of our remarkable state, and the beautiful art galleries, the symphony, the chamber music, the culture that is available feeds the spirit and supports us in moving that skill forward so that we live not only in love and peace, but in a sense of joy and wonder, joy and wonder of the magic and mystery of human life. And then we celebrate. Namaste.
there's something magical about today. You feel it? The snow, the quiet. It's really incredibly beautiful and such a privilege to be here today with you, dear hearts. There's magic afoot today. Great-grandfather Hafiz says God is fully known only through that which accepts everything, love. Love reveals the universe as a cosmic playground where everything and being participate in a single, magnificent game. In the West, Sufism, with which Hafiz and Rumi are identified, is usually considered a form of mystic Islam. But the Sufis say their way has always existed under many names, in many lands, associated with the mystical dimension of every spiritual system. God shouts, yes, 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 to every luminous movement in existence. Always exercise your heart's knowing. Whisper, I love you. I love you. I love you. To the whole mad world, bring your cup near me, for I am a sweet old vagabond with an infinite leaking barrel of light and laughter and truth that the beloved is tied to my back. Dear one, indeed, please bring your heart to me, for all I care about is quenching your thirst for freedom. All a sane person can ever care about is giving love. Start seeing God everywhere, but keep it a secret. Pulling out the chair beneath your mind and watching you fall upon God, what else is there to do that is any fun in this world? I hear God laughing. Hafiz tells us that the beloved's nature is pure joy. The closer we come to God, the more we're able to hear and feel God's laughter. The rhythm of God's laughter is the music of the dance of life. That music is the essence of love. And it is the radiant core of every song of life. I am happy even before I have a reason. What is laughter? What is laughter? It is God waking up. It is the sun poking its sweet head out from behind a cloud we have been carrying far too long, veiling our eyes and our heart. Your magic movements of hands and feet and glands and cells dancing. Know that to God's eye, all 
movement is a wondrous language. And music, such exquisite music. What is this precious love and laughter budding in our hearts? It is the glorious sound of a soul waking up. Namaste. Thank you.